letter of Paul. You've got Romans, 1 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians, and we're 2 Corinthians chapter 5. And verses 1 through to 10. And it's entitled in the New Living Translation, New Bodies. Who wants a new body? Excellent. Right. Let's go for it. So 2 Corinthians chapter 5, and we're going to read verses 1 through to 10. The Apostle Paul says this. For we know that when this earthly tent we live in is taken down, that is, when we die and leave this earthly body, we will have a house in heaven, an eternal body made for us by God himself and not by human hands. We grow weary in our present bodies and we long to put on our heavenly bodies like new clothing. For we will put on heavenly bodies. We will not be spirits without bodies. While we live in these earthly bodies, we groan and sigh But it's not that we want to die and get rid of these bodies that clothe us. Rather, we want to put on our new bodies so that these dying bodies will be swallowed up by life. God himself has prepared us for this. And as a guarantee, he has given us his Holy Spirit. So we're always confident, even though we know know as long as we live in these bodies, we are not at home with the Lord. For we live by believing and not by seeing. Yes, we are fully confident, and we would rather be away from these earthly bodies, for then we will be at home with the Lord. So whether we're here in this body or away from this body, our goal is to please him. For we must all stand before Christ to be judged. We will each receive whatever we deserve for the good or evil we have done in this earthly body. Amen. God will bless this reading from his holy word. Now, if you do have your Bible with you, we're going to look at uh, this passage in 2 Corinthians uh, tonight, and we're going to be thinking about a subject that's really become a taboo subject uh, in society today. We touched on it a wee bit uh, this morning, and that's why I thought we would uh, again touch on it uh, this evening. So we're, we're going to think a bit about death, right? And uh, it's very much a subject that people don't want to speak about very much in society. Now, I know there's two people here who deal with death all the time, okay? Because poor Barbara and Carly work in a funeral director, all right? But for most of us, we, we maybe don't think about death so much. We do during bereavement, but other times we just kind of go along with, uh, with life, don't we? Death is not something that that people in society want to to speak about, do they, or think about. Sometimes when I do a funeral visit, the the family will say to me, I don't really know what we would like in terms of a funeral because we never spoke about it. That's quite a regular, a regular thing. And they don't speak about it because it's seen as a morbid subject, as something uh, we really don't want to, to think about. And if you think about it, a lot of society and culture is about putting death off, isn't it? Really, when you think about it. It's about making ourselves more youthful. Is that not right? And trying to put death off for as long as possible. And there's not much, is there, in society today, that I see anyway, about aging well and dying well. There's very little about that. 
It's all about anti-aging cream and putting off death for as long as possible. And perhaps we as a church need to show a lead when it comes to these things. Now, before you get too depressed, because that's why I didn't put it on Facebook or Instagram, we are going to be looking at death in the church tonight. But the fact is, as Christians, we have a different view on death than the world has. But it's really important that we think about what it is, or what our view is, and how we respond to death, and how we react to death, because it actually affects our life now, and how we live out our life now. Now, rather than this being a morbid time, I'm hoping that this might be quite a joyful time, possibly. If you're not leaving joyful tonight, come and speak to me afterwards, because either it's a problem with me, or it's a problem with you, all right? And we need to sort that out. Okay, so let's have a wee think uh, about this passage this evening. Now, this evening's passage in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, it links what's gone before in 2 Corinthians, and especially into the immediately preceding verse in chapter 4, verse 18, where Paul says, So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen. Since what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. And it's that contrast between the seen and the unseen, the temporary and the eternal, that Paul picks up on as we move into chapter 5 and begins to speak about life and death. Now, as Paul begins to speak about death in particular in chapter 5, we have to be aware that, that Paul is not speaking into a vacuum. Paul is not just saying, you know, these things in theory. Because, remember, Paul speaks about death because it's a reality for him, if you know the life of Paul. For example, in chapter 1, verse 8, he speaks of the pressure he and those with him were under, far beyond their ability to endure. They despaired of life itself. Indeed, we felt that we had received the sentence of death. You see that in chapter 1. And we see the constant pressure he's under. We see that in chapter 4, verses 8 to 12, and we see it later in chapter 11. So Paul is under pressure. And death is a present reality for Paul. So what Paul says here in chapter 5 is something he's very much living out because his very life is under threat. And so what he says here is a reality for him. And actually, it ought to be a reality for us, too. Because we never know, do we, when our time will be at an end. I don't want to get too morbid about it, but we don't know, do we? And we don't know when the Lord will return again. There were, there were monks in the Middle Ages who used to sleep in coffins. Or they used to put a skull on their desk as a reminder of their own mortality. And I guess in, in our own generation, with the advance of science and the advance of medicine, we just don't think so much about death, do we? In Victorian times, you maybe read of, you know, parents who had 12 children, you know, and six of them died in infancy. That was a regular occurrence. Death was a regular thing. Sometimes we need a reminder that our time here on earth is fleeting. 
It is but a breath. Now, as this is our reality, how should we respond? And what ought to be the response of the Christian to the nature of death? Okay? Now, that's the kind of depressing part. Now we're getting to the good part, all right? Well, in this passage here, there are three things that ought to give us comfort and encouragement. The first is found in verses 1 and 2, that as believers, death is not the end, and we will certainly possess a heavenly body. And we see this clearly in the contrast that Paul makes, because he he speaks of our bodies as, as earthly tents, which of course is appropriate considering Paul's a tent maker. That's his job. And he contrasts this with God giving us a building an eternal house in heaven. Now, the contrast is pretty clear, isn't it? A tent is not a permanent structure, is it? Last Easter, we went to Southerness, and it was windy. And we went with our little camper van, and we had an awning. And we hammered it all down, and it was a yellow wind warning. And we were a bit worried about this. It was 50-mile-an-hour winds. We thought, "Mm, this is on the the verge of being difficult. And we were in a very exposed part. And the yellow wind warning was meant to start at 10 o'clock. So we got the boys to bed, and Anna and I just went to bed. And at 10 o'clock, you could tell the wind changed completely. It came from a different direction, and it just started blowing in. And I kept having to look out to see, is that awning still there? And about half an hour later, I looked out the window, and the awning had gone. Now, it was filled. It had, it had, it had chairs in it. It had a fridge in it. It had, it had just gone. And we got this bang on the window from a couple from Fife who had caught it and who had brought it to us. And all we could do, because it was absolutely gushing down with rain, we dumped it in the back of the van, and we came at home at 2 o'clock in the morning. A tent is not a permanent structure. We learned that last Easter. And the Israelites knew that as well. Remember in the Old Testament how the Ark of the Covenant was placed in the tent of meeting or the tabernacle? That's where Moses met with God. But it was temporary. It was a temporary thing. And remember when the people came into the land that they'd promised, that were promised, that eventually it was David's desire to build the temple, something more permanent. And eventually Solomon built it. Now, It sadly didn't prove to be permanent. It was knocked down. It was destroyed. It was then rebuilt again. But the contrast is clear, isn't it? Tent is not permanent. It's temporary. It's easily destroyed. A building is permanent. It lasts. And particularly, as it says in our passage here, when it's not built by human hands. You see, here on earth, we live temporarily. Our real home is in heaven, and there is a longing to be there. And that's why Paul speaks of of groaning, because there's an unease, isn't there, in, in being in a place that we don't belong. Perhaps you've stayed somewhere with a with a friend, and you've enjoyed being with your friend, but, you know, sometimes you don't feel as though you can just go into the kitchen and stick the kettle on and then put your feet up on the couch. You just don't feel that. But then you come home and you think, ah, I'm home. I'm in my own place. 
I feel comfortable. I can go and make a cup of tea. I can put my feet up on the couch and I can put what I want on the television. You're comfortable at home. Sometimes we feel uncomfortable here on earth because it's a place we don't belong. We are resident aliens here. Not little green men, but foreigners here in this place. We belong with God and we long to be with him as Christians. That's the, that's the end goal of our faith, isn't it? To be with God forever and ever. Sometimes we forget that, don't we? Oh, I've been converted, I've been saved, and that's great. Forget. You know, I'm going to be with God forever. That's the end goal of our faith. And Paul makes this clear elsewhere. As you know, we've been doing a, a study on a Sunday night at Praise, Prayer, and Pudding. We've been looking at a life worth living. And we're looking uh, through the book of Philippians, another of Paul's letters. And a couple of weeks ago, we looked at that amazing verse where Paul says, to live is Christ and to die is not loss, it's gain. It's gain. Now, why is it gain? Because we will be with the Lord forever. We will be clothed by God and we'll be given heavenly bodies. We will not be found naked. Remember when Adam and Eve disobeyed God at the fall and ate the fruit? One of the results of that was, oh, hold on, we're naked. That's what they understood. Their innocence was gone. And remember that as a consequence of their disobedience, that God throws them out of the Garden of Eden, but he clothes them with animal skin. And God clothes us. He gives us resurrection bodies. He prepares a place for us, a permanent place, an eternal place. And this is a reason not to fear, but to look forward in faith, knowing that this is our reality, that what is mortal will be swallowed up by life. So this is the first thing, that when we face death, we as believers can be assured that we have a building from God, that we have heavenly bodies, and we have the promise of life. And death is not the end. Hallelujah. Now, the second thing I want to think about tonight is, with all that Paul has been saying about the life to come and heavenly bodies, how do I know this is true? How do I know this is true? Quite often people will come to me and say, well, how do I know the Bible is true? How do I know that there is life after death? You know, how do I know that this life isn't just what all it is? And when we die, that's it. What's my guarantee? You see, it's good to get a guarantee in a product, isn't it? When you go and buy something and it has a guarantee, then if it doesn't work as it should then we can take it back to the shop and we can get a new one or we can get a refund. It's great, isn't it? And it says in verse 5 that God has given us the Spirit as a deposit, guaranteeing what is to come. When we believe in Jesus, we receive the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit at work in our lives is a foretaste of what is to come. Now, I'm sure many of you here tonight have put down a deposit at one time or another. You've put down a deposit on a house or a deposit on a car. 
And when you put down a deposit, it means that you've reserved that car or you've reserved that house. It means that someone else can't just come along and and claim it. Hold on, I put a deposit on, it's mine. And I'm going to pay the rest later on. And when we believe in Christ, God sets his claim on us, so to speak, through the Holy Spirit, the one who works in our hearts, who sanctifies us, who changes us, and who molds us into the likeness of Christ. The seal of the Holy Spirit is placed upon us. Now, of course, when you pay a deposit, you, of course, expect to pay further installments, don't you? You don't just get your thing, your car, your house, just for the deposit, do you? is isn't as if you paid everything. And it's the same for us. There's more to come. As one translation puts it, the Holy Spirit puts a little of heaven in our hearts so that we'll never settle for less. I love that. At the moment, we live by faith and not by sight. But there will be a time when we will be with the Lord. We will experience the fullness of God and all that this means. The Spirit guarantees what is to come. And what we experience now is nothing compared to what we will experience when we will be with God forever. So if you're a Christian here tonight, the Holy Spirit within you is a deposit. Sometimes people say to you, when when you become a Christian, sometimes people say to you, why is it you believe? How is it you've got assurance? And you can point at various things, but sometimes it just comes down to the fact, you know, I know because I know. Now, how do you know? Well, it's the Holy Spirit within, isn't it? Because you just know. You know it's true. You know where you're going at the end of your life. The Holy Spirit dwells within, and he guarantees what is to come, that we will be with the Lord forever. Now, the third thing, I want to think about tonight is that our destination determines how we live out our lives now. Our destination determines how we live out our lives now. In verses 6 through to 10, Paul speaks a lot about being home and away. If we're at home in the body, we are away from the Lord. We prefer to be away from the body and home with the Lord. But whichever way, Our goal is to seek the Master's approval because of our destiny with Him, and we will be with Him forever, and also because we're accountable to Him. So we are to live for God here on earth, because our ultimate destiny as Christians is to be with God forever and ever. And ultimately, we are accountable to the Lord. That's what verse 10 says is all about. This might be a verse that you think, that's a bit strange. Never really thought about this before. Because Paul says this, now I'm reading from the NIV here, for we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each of us may receive what is due to us for things done while in the body, whether good or bad. Now, that verse might surprise you. Did you realize that we as Christians will appear before the judgment seat of Christ? We will. That's a reality. Have you thought about that before? Now, we won't appear before the judgment seat of Christ to determine our salvation. 
If you believe in the Lord Jesus, you will be saved. That's the promise of the gospel. God justifies us on the basis of our faith in Christ. But he also recompenses us in accordance with works. And the judgment seat of Christ determines not status, but reward. So how we live here on earth matters. It's important and always say and do that we are God-honoring, which of course is the way it should be. Because if what Christ has done for us on the cross matters to us, if it's something that we find important, then his love, his mercy, his compassion, his grace, all these things that Jesus shows to us, we ought also to want to show to others around us because we want to glorify God. So in this passage this evening, I want you to see that we are promised a heavenly body, being with God forever, a permanent dwelling. Now, if that's a reality, that ought to change our lives right now. If that's where we're going, that ought to change us now. When you've ever been in the situation where you've been away from home for quite a wee while, and you've got quite a journey to get back home, and maybe it's a, a difficult journey. I remember about 20 years ago, and I was out in Japan, and I took a flight back from uh, Japan, but we were told mid-flight that one of the engines had failed, and so it was going to take far longer than we expected. It was a very bumpy flight. We ended up going into Paris at some ridiculous hour in the morning. We had to stay overnight when that wasn't uh, planned, and we ended up, you know, but what kept me going? I'm going home. I'm going home. That's what kept, even during the difficult times, and we all face difficult times in our life. What keeps us going? Well, I'm going home. I'm going to be with the Lord forever. A permanent dwelling with him. That's wonderful, isn't it? But whilst we're here on earth, we have the Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing what is to come. And though we're presently at home in the body, we ought to long, as Paul longed, to be away with God, knowing that this is better by far. Some people say that being too heavenly minded means you're not of earthly use. Actually, it's being heavenly minded that makes you of earthly use. I believe that with all my heart. You see, whilst we live here on earth, we're called to live for Jesus, to please God, to honor him, whilst we wait for that time when he calls us to home to be with him forever. Now, hope tonight, you've not thought I've been too morbid, or I've had a morbid day, you know, it's been looking at judgment and oh, difficult things, because we need to think about these eternal things. We need to think about these great truths, don't we? And so often, we as Christians follow the world in terms of our view of death. We see death as a negative thing, a thing to be avoided at all costs. But the reality is it's going to happen. It's going to happen anyway, isn't it? And what's Paul's view? That this life 
is about honoring Jesus. It's about serving Him. And we have the Holy Spirit who gives us a foretaste of what is to come. And whilst to live here on earth is to live for Christ, to die is gain. To die is gain. And as Christians, we do not need to fear. We don't need to fear that death is the end. Indeed, it's the culmination of our faith. Because it's in dying that the mortal is swallowed up in life. So I want to encourage you tonight. Be confident in your faith in Jesus. And be aware that life here on earth is temporary. It's a fleeting breath. But whilst we're here on earth, let's honor Jesus. Let's serve him with all that we have. That glory might be forever and ever his. Because to die is gain. It means we will be with God forever. That's our hope, isn't it? When Jesus died on the cross, the women were there. The disciples had scattered. The disciples thought this was the end. They were devastated. But what happened on the third day? Well, they're all together in one place. Well, it was a bit before that. You know what I'm talking about. Sunday night. All together in one place, apart from Thomas. And Jesus comes among them. Peace be with you. What did the disciples feel? They felt afraid, yes. But they were also filled with joy. Why were they filled with joy? Because the one who had died had risen to life again. They didn't understand all the implications of that, but we do. We do. Because if Jesus is alive, then we too have the hope of eternal life forever and ever. Death has been conquered by Emmanuel. Shall we just pray together? Let's pray. Lord God, this is a a difficult subject tonight. In many ways, it's a deep subject for a Sunday evening. Perhaps we just want a bit of encouragement as we go into next week. But Father, we pray that we would see beneath the surface, we would see the encouragement that there is in this passage this evening. Because we recognize that it's when we lift up our eyes and when we see you, Lord God, as you are, And we focus upon eternal realities. Because so often, Lord God, in our waking hours, we can focus on the mundane. We can focus on the incidental. We can focus upon the problems in our life. But Father, may we spend time thinking about eternal things. Thinking about heaven. Thinking about being with you forever and ever. And Father, as we think about these things, may that change how we live out our life here on earth. Because Lord God, you give us the indwelling Holy Spirit, the one who is a deposit, who guarantees all that is ahead. And you call us as your people to serve you, to show love as you have shown love, to show compassion and mercy and grace as you have shown us all these things. 
that you have called us as your people to share the good news of the gospel, that others too might come into the kingdom of heaven. So, Heavenly Father, we pray that we might leave this place encouraged, that we might know where our eternal destination is, that we might know that it's something that can never be taken away, never destroyed. And may we know the joy of our salvation. So, Father, we ask that you would speak to us through your word tonight, we pray. For we pray these things in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen.